what we're doing now at Chartop that really excites me is building that content center of excellence where content sits as a core function within our marketing team. And that for us includes everything from copywriting in various forms to graphic design and video production to campaign creation and even community building. Now that really blurs the boundaries of what we traditionally think of when we hear content, but I think that really speaks to what content needs to look like in 2022 and beyond. Hello all and welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and as always, I will be both your host and bartender today. Well, we're taking the next couple of months to dive into HR tech in a special SaaS Half Full series. Today, we're joined by Sharon Rusinowitz, the Director of Content Marketing at ChartHop, and we are talking all things content, specifically how to build out a content team why she believes it's important to keep it in-house, and of course, how the heck do we measure content, especially if it's not gated. Sharon will talk about how to develop a content strategy in a way that maps back to overall goals of the organizations, and of course, content quality versus quantity. So grab a drink as I dive into my conversation with Sharon. Hey, Sharon, welcome to SAS Half Full. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are pumped to have you. You and I have not had a chance to meet, but I know that you interface with our Blast Media team from time to time as the Director of Content Marketing at ChartHop. We are proud to call ChartHop a client and always like when we can have our clients drop some knowledge on us on SAS Half Full. Uh, Sharon, we did send you a cocktail kit. Which one did you choose? Old-fashioned. I like it. Keep it classic. That is. A lot of times they have really crazy, weird names and you can't tell what it is, but most people understand what goes into an old-fashioned. Are you able to join me for a drink today or are you going to behave for other reasons? I think I'll behave today, but I'm excited to uh, unwind later with uh, the cocktail. Awesome. Well, I always stay true to the process. Believe it or not, even if it's 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, I do it. Uh, This is a respectful hour. It is 1.30 Eastern on a Thursday. I'm drinking my favorite new seltzer, which is called Ranch Water. I don't know, made in Texas. It's agave-based, and it is my jam lately. So I will stay true and have a cocktail here. When we initially approached Sharon, she wanted to be a guest on the show. She was nice enough to give us a few things about which she could speak and about what she's passionate. And um, one of them really caught my attention, not only due to co- other conversations that we have with our SaaS clients, but me personally, someone who oversees our own marketing at Blast Media, which was how do you measure content? And in her description, she specifically said, especially if it doesn't sit behind a gate. So asking for an email address. And I said, ooh, that is an interesting discussion. We have had that topic as one part of a discussion many times, which is to gate or not to gate. And it is pretty heated in all sides of that discussion. So, but before we dive in on how you should be looking at measuring content, Sharon, I do want to give our listeners an idea of just who you are and your background. So if you could let us know what your role is at ChartHop and then also just what is ChartHop? Why does it exist? I lead the content marketing team at ChartHop. Uh, Right now, we're in the process of really building that out as a content center of excellence, thinking through the entire life cycle of content and everywhere that a prospect or a customer or media or analysts, you name it, might engage with ChartHop. 
and how we're telling that story effectively. So ChartHop is a people analytics platform. We are making data accessible and actionable for HR leaders in an entirely new way and opening that up to the entire organization as well. Awesome. And what was your journey into B2B SaaS? Is this where you started your career and you've worked in it for quite some time? What does that look like? Yeah. So I have spent the last 10 years in B2B SaaS and content marketing specifically, but I did kind of fall into it by accident. I went to school for journalism, was so excited to go out and be a journalist, but (laughs) it was just not a good time to do that and explored a variety of things, one of which was an internship in marketing. Uh, That was early days for content marketing and that company needed someone to create content. No one really wanted to do that. And me being a journalist by trade was excited to do that. And the rest was kind of history. I too went to school for journalism and mass communication. I am an offshoot of that and working in PR, uh, but I initially was thinking I wanted to do more on the sports journalism side. So it is still a passion of mine, but would have been an okay time. But boy, did that change quickly afterwards. We're going to talk about measuring content. Before we do that, you had mentioned that you are building out your own content team. I do feel like most mature SaaS companies understand that content is important. It is not a nice to have, it is a need to have, but oftentimes organizations don't know how to operationalize that. So I wanted to get your take on how companies should be thinking about structuring their content teams. And then as a second part to that, where should it live within an organization? I think it's a really interesting question because content is so intertwined with everything in marketing, particularly demand gen. So it's often difficult to to separate it from those elements. Uh, And I've seen this done in a variety of ways. I've been part of it done in a variety of ways. But what we're doing now at ChartHop that really excites me is building that content center of excellence where content sits as a core function within our marketing team. And that for us includes everything from copywriting in various forms to graphic design and video production to campaign creation and even community building. Now that really blurs the boundaries of what we traditionally think of when we hear content. But I think that really speaks to what content needs to look like in 2022 and beyond. Look, my background is in writing, and I firmly believe that traditional blog post will never die. But we do need to break out of that blog post the time when attention is short and competition is so high. So making quality content that stands out is about the entire package that really requires thinking deeply about everything from your audience and your goal to your messaging, your packaging, and your delivery. And to do that effectively, you really need this broader team of creatives working hand in hand to make that content program shine. The other big thing is having a really deep connection to demand gen marketers because content is only as good as its promotion. Uh, So I think that's huge. And I do think that the content team while it serves a variety of people within the organization, whether that's the recruiting team for employer branding, the executive team for any kind of thing, it really does belong on the marketing team. And as the director of content marketing, do you then oversee all those different uh, mediums of content? So you are the one that is managing that team of the visual creators, whether that's video or static creative, as well as the copywriters? 
Yes, absolutely. Okay. And it's really important to to have those experts and have that stream of people who are experts in different elements of creation and being able to bring those ideas together. And I'm guilty of bucketing content into written content. I mean, that's where Mm -hmm. my brain inevitably goes because then typically it's like the creatives, the more visual creatives are stuck more in the creative department as a different silo. And so this idea of let's think of content holistically and how it all works together and across all the different areas that you're looking to influence, even though it sits under marketing, we also tend to think then then that is how it serves prospects. And you mentioned all the other areas of influence that matter as well is leveraging content that makes people feel a certain way and take a certain action, whether that's talent, potential investors, current customers, whatever you're using that content for. That's a big responsibility and a big undertaking for a content team. When we think outside of, well, how can we write great SEO blog content and create eBooks and white papers and have people download them? Those are more tactics as opposed to this overarching strategy. So um, like that way of reframing your mindset into how you're thinking about content. And so once you talk a little bit more about then how you do go about developing a content strategy. For our, our listeners, it's mostly... SaaS marketers, uh, really all different levels. We have CMO all the way down to practitioner level. But if you could walk through some practical steps on how you start with developing a content strategy, knowing that you have all of these different audiences you're potentially looking to influence, as well as these different team members who are contributing. And that's such an important piece of any content program. It's something that every content team should do as early as possible and then revisit. It's not something that can just be set it and forget it on autopilot. And the very first thing you absolutely need is a deep understanding of who your target audience is. It's important to keep that front and center for absolutely everything you do from content strategy to content creation and beyond. Because if you're not creating content that speaks to that group, then there's really no point in creating it for your business. From there, when you're first starting out, the best thing to do is a content audit. So this is really about understanding what content you have that already exists, which may be none if you're really just starting out, and that's okay. Because it's also about looking at externally what relevant content is out there in the market. So looking at media partners, competitors who operate in your sphere. This can really help you understand the types of messages and delivery of those messages that are already available for your target audience so that you can find opportunities to differentiate. On the partner and media side, it's also a good way to potentially find those symbiotic relationships where maybe you can partner with them to help boost your reach and add credibility to what you're doing as well. So that background is a really good place to then start developing the documented strategy and actually writing it out is so important because that gives you something to refer back to, hold up and align people around as your team grows. And key elements of that are really your top level goals. And that might be something like attracting new leads and then aligning those goals to measurement areas. Ideally, I like to have three to five goals, and these should help set a clear purpose for any content that we create. I typically like to align these to the sales funnel as well, because that helps ensure that our content program is aligned 
with the broader marketing and revenue team goals. And again, that deep connection with demand gen marketers is just so critical. So other key strategy elements are themes to own. So these can provide direction and consistency for all of your content. They should provide a really clear path to determine what content you should create. And then also to say, this is content that we should not be creating. Uh, And they should be an intersection of your position in the market, what your target audience cares about, and where you really want to direct conversations with your prospects and your customers. So as you define these themes, it's really helpful to be specific about what they mean and why they're important to your content strategy. And that can come back to your audit. So for example, maybe it's an area that you found is not satisfied in the other content out there for your target audience, and it's an area that you can own really well. Lastly, you want to operationalize all of that by outlining content team commitments and defining what quality will mean for your team and your organization. There are several operational elements that I like to bring into, so one of which is a content decision tree, and that really prevents content sprawl and the idea of creating content just for the sake of it. It helps my whole team be really exacting in what we do create and be clear about why we're creating it. So again, that we're not creating content just for the sake of it. All of this is really clearly a huge effort. And while that's led by content, there are a variety of people who do need to be involved in the process. First, you want to involve operations people who can provide a strong perspective in terms of mapping content goals to the sales funnel and make sure that the measurement goals that you set are actually attainable. I know we're going to be talking quite a bit about measurement, but the fact of the matter is it's really hard and it requires having good friends and operations who can help you out. And are you specifically referring to sales ops? How are you defining operations? Yeah, so it sits differently in different organizations. If you're lucky enough to have a marketing operations team, that's really a great place to start, but it may sit on the sales function as well, or perhaps as a hybrid of the two. I've seen it in a variety of ways. And you're uh, talking about bringing the different people in. So you have, you'll have you have a, a team who's responsible for executing on the decided upon strategy. Mm-hmm. But at what point and who do you bring into that top level strategy discussion? You mentioned operations. And do you get buy-in on that strategy first before you create the entire plan and then present the plan together? It's kind of a chicken and egg scenario because you need to have something for people to rally around. So that collaboration is key and asking for feedback often throughout the process. So really early on, you actually really want to involve any product marketing team members from a market positioning and competitive Intel perspective. And also it's important to have conversations with sales and customer success teams to understand what they're hearing from prospects and customers. So I think that's really at the outset, you can kind of have, here are the goals that we're thinking about and general ways we might measure them. And that's brought together by that content audit and those conversations with people internally as well. And then once there's buy-in for that, you can really begin to develop exactly what they mean. The key point there is you want to be as specific as possible in in defining what each of the goals means, what each of the measurement areas is, and how you'll measure it. That way, it's very clear for anyone in the organization to come in and see what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, And there's no ambiguity in that regard. The other really big point of collaboration is back again with your 
sales and CSM teams understanding what type of content they want to use and how they typically use content. Because even though your customer is really your target audience, those teams are your primary delivery vehicle to those audiences. Because even with the absolute best demand gen, having a recommendation from a trusted human is always going to deliver the most engagement with content compared to an ad that someone sees online. So you mentioned sales and customer success involving in the process. How do you set boundaries around how your content team is being used? And what I mean by that is more of being seen as a strategic partner versus an on-demand content machine where you have this strategy and what you're chasing and why, but inevitably you'll have customer success manager or sales rep come to you and say, I need this. So create this for me, or I'm now I'm going to go meet with this prospect. So create this for me. How do you create that boundary? That's always the challenge. Uh, and <laughs> one of the things that I like to tell my team is don't be afraid to say no, and don't be afraid to ask questions. Oftentimes, what I find is that when we ask the questions, people realize it's maybe something that they don't actually need, or maybe something that we already have on hand in perhaps a slightly different version than they were imagining, but it still works, or it's something that they can do themselves. So the questions that we ask are, they should go back to the strategy, but it generally centers around who is the audience for this? What is the goal? How is it going to be used? And answering those can help us have a really meaningful conversation about why the content team needs to be involved. And if it's worth our time versus having someone do it on their own, because there is a lot of things someone can easily spin up a slide deck for themselves if it's for a smaller client and it doesn't need to be widely used across the team. Whereas maybe if it does need to be widely used across the team, that is something the content team should be involved in. I think the other big thing is just a, a small nuance. So we do have request process, but I like to call it a content suggestion box rather than a request process, just the mental framing. Yeah. This is a suggestion. We're going to pay attention to it. We're going to ask you questions, but we're going to really validate if it's something that we should be doing as aligns to our strategy. I love that. I want to make sure everybody heard that is reframing just the vernacular can really help saying this is something that you can suggest that we will consider not making it a request. So then you have to decide we're going to do or not do and sort of pick sides here. So I love that. All right. So let's move on to measurement, the classic form, which is just lead gen by getting a bunch of emails and that's to gate or not to gate content. We've gone back and forth on this with a lot of different guests. And of course, we've all gotten a good chuckle at things that require us to put our email in when we are clearly not a target demographic. I mean, I download all sorts of shit from competing PR agencies that I want to read and then they're, they start to sell to me. I'm like, no, I'm a competitor, which is a whole other discussion of once the leads come in, you to qualify them. But talk to me about how someone should think about measuring content and also how you create that alignment as you go higher up into the organization to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success. So I think measuring content is all about aligning to the funnel and making really clear goals that are tied to those measurements. So that way at the outset of any kind of campaign, you can attach a goal to it. Maybe it's awareness, maybe it's nurturing, whatever it might be. And you have a clear set of metrics that align to that. The way that I like to think about it is having both primary and supporting goals for measuring content. 
So the primary goals are those really meaty things that will help you have those conversations throughout the entire organization. So those are things like impact of content on pipeline creation and how content helps our sales team increase deal size or close deals faster. Those are really big things and they're important to pay attention to, but they're also lagging indicators. So the supporting measures come in as those leading indicators that tell you whether you're pointing in the right direction to hit the goals. They're also more tactical levers that you can pull to influence performance. And those are typically things like when and how often do people engage with content? Uh, The number of pieces of content that our sales team uses and opportunities, because again, they are such a huge delivery vehicle for content. And at the highest level, I like to track these quarterly to get a bird's eye view of how our content is performing at the primary measure level. And then at the supporting measure level, going in a lot more often and checking those because that's our steering wheel in navigating toward the primary measures. Looking at that holistically, I think is important to understand high level, how is our content program influencing our organization? And then it's also helpful to understand at a campaign level, that way it's clear about the impact of specific messaging or new tactics you may have used in the campaign. So how are you tracking this? You mentioned you know, how often the sales team is using your content throughout their flow to ultimate close. How do you know when they're using your content? So some of it is honestly just feedback, but there are a lot of great tools out there that can help with that. We've actually just implemented one at Charthop recently called Showpad, but there's a lot of great content enablement tools. And it's basically a content library where salespeople can go and it ties discovering content to sharing content and gives the marketing team all kinds of insight into how and when the sales team is using content. So that's really great to have at our disposal. For sure. And then on the the primary goal and measurement, you said uh, measuring the impact of content on pipeline. Specifically, what does that look like? How are you measuring that impact? So for us, we're looking at, and that for us is pipeline creation. So for us, that is specifically pipeline creation. And it looks at if an account is engaging with content before an opportunity is created. And there's a variety of ways we can do that. Sometimes content does have to live behind a form to make that happen. But there's other ways they're cookied on our site. We can see that then that they're engaging with ungated content. We can see if they're clicking through a newsletter, for example, and then the sales team creates the opportunity. That's matching those timestamps up against one another is typically the easiest way to do that. So let's talk about gated versus ungated content. Pros, cons, where do you stand on it? Yeah, it's an interesting debate. And one of the reasons I think it's so divisive is because I don't think there's actually a single right answer. So I would say that my point of view is what is your primary goal? If it's to generate leads at the top of the funnel, then you probably need to gate your content, especially if you're working largely with inbound marketing. If your primary goal sits lower down in the funnel and you're really aligned to helping nurture prospects who are already in the pipeline, gating becomes far less important because it's not about getting those names and getting people in. Even if you're at a really early stage company and general awareness is the primary goal, gating can actually hurt you because it might prevent eyes on your content. So it really depends on where you sit as a content team and what you're aligned to. Mm -hmm. There's always 
other ways to capture new leads. So if you don't want your content to sit behind a form, there's other ways to get creative. You can have newsletter signups that you promote really often and do so in a thoughtful way. If you host webinars, there's webinars registrations. There's a lot of other ways to capture leads than just putting content behind a gate. And I think it's important to think about that big picture. You can also even do a soft gate where you're encouraging someone to fill out their email address to engage with the content, but they could easily click out of that and just continue engaging with content. So I think it's about really thinking through all of the options that are available to you. And then ultimately, what are your goals and how you're going to be able to satisfy those goals and measure appropriately if your content is not behind a form. Yeah. And even internally at Blast Media, my marketing manager, myself have differing views on gating or not gating content. And me personally, I really have to want the content to give up my email address. And I don't know, my, my thought is that what we're trying to do is help someone solve a problem or educate them on a particular topic that ultimately is pushing them towards us anyway. I would rather just give that information away, be a helpful resource answer the question that they're asking because they want an answer and they're going to go find it somewhere else if it's not easy to find with us without getting an email address. So I understand the benefits of it as well. And I do like though this differentiator and I want to repeat it, that if your goal is to generate more top of the funnel leads, then gating might be for you. But if it's not about the leads and it is closing more of those leads and bringing them down the funnel, then then potentially not and give them what they want. Like that perspective. What else should we know about measurement? Talk to me about how you report and who you report to and then what that looks like. And, and what I mean by that is, do you present all the details or do you have sort of your, top, your three slides and that's all that you need because you don't want to get in the weeds? How do you report? What does that look like? Yeah, and this is something that's really always a work in progress as goals and systems change and something that we're working through right now as a team at ChartHop. But the way we're structuring this currently is we are reporting through primarily Salesforce and HubSpot. We bring all of these together in a dashboard to understand that complete picture. We have it mapped out with clear goals and it's something that I can go in or someone on my team can go in and track as often as we want, even if it's a weekly basis. That said, I don't think that reporting out on it on a weekly basis is always the most helpful because content really is a long-term initiative. So what really matters in reporting out beyond the content team and the people who are in the weeds of this every day is that monthly and quarterly basis. And when you're reporting it out, for me, that goes to our CMO and then uh, some metrics that we may share with our entire team at our company, All Hands, or anything else that goes to the executive leadership team. It's really looking at a quarterly tracking, as well as if we're doing campaign level reporting after probably at least four to six weeks of that campaign being live to get traction. And that really is just those highest level metrics, those primary measures. The supporting measures are only for the content team who's in the weeds and needs those to navigate toward the primary measures. You mentioned reporting up to your CMO and depending on what school of thought your CMO has brought it up in brand or demand, sometimes that's a tougher road to sow than others. 
What do you wish though that in general more CMOs understood about their content team? I think it's that good content takes time. There is a big long tail upside to quality content and it can take a little while to show itself. And I think sometimes the knee jerk reaction is let's do more, but creating more content can often end up shooting yourself in the foot. That is wonderful advice. You CMOs that are listening, quality content takes time and quality content will trump quantity any day, especially if that quantity is not a part of those getting you closer to those overarching goals that you have established at the beginning. You're either getting further away from that goal or you're taking actions today that are getting you closer to that goal. Love that advice. Well, is there anything else, Sharon, that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we tackle? The only other thing that I can think of is thinking about how all of your content fits together. And this kind of goes back to that quality versus quantity. And really everything should be working together to tell a bigger picture. I like to think of it as one of those collage pictures where it's all the the little photos that work together to make up one big photo when you stand back. That's really a good way to to think about creating your content universe and telling your brand story uh, and making sure that you're not going too far off the rails and creating too much content just for the sake of it, because it can be fun to, to create content. And not walking so close to that collage where you don't like how that one little pixel picture looks, because in the whole scheme of things, that's not affecting the big picture. It's how exactly. it all works together. And there's going to be ones that maybe didn't quite perform as well as the others. But as long as collectively reaching that goal, I love that visual. Well, Sharon, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your insights. Um, as we end every episode, I always ask our guests if they have a favorite or signature toast to send us out. I don't think I've actually ever used this toast, but uh, I love to bring some humor into things. And I am a big fan of dad jokes. And I heard this one recently and it just had me laughing for the longest time. So I'll, I'll share it today. And that's a toast to bread because without bread, there would be no toast. Oh, wow. Well, yep. That is indeed a dad <laughs> joke. <laughs> I feel like I, I wish I had a horn that said, wah, 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 wah. Yeah, that would be perfect here. Well, I will certainly drink to dad jokes. Cheers. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Sharon for joining us on this special HR Tech Series episode of SAS Half Full. I absolutely love her toast. The more dad joke, the more cheesy, the better for me. And really appreciate you tuning in. Join us again for another HR Tech Series coming up. And as always, folks, bottoms up. Bottoms up.